Hey folks, welcome to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We have a really crazy week of comics to talk about, and because of that we're going to approach the show a little bit differently this week. We kind of usually talk about like the biggest books up front, but this week there's a, a really interesting combination. We get a first issue of a new miniseries, we get the last issue of a miniseries, we get the first issue of like a series of one-shots, we get two annuals, and we have a Doomsday Clock issue. That's a lot of big stuff. So we're going to start off by talking about the four DC Hanna-Barbera crossovers. And so um, I promise to keep this part under 20 minutes. So listeners, if you're not reading these books, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, skip ahead a bit, listen for the commercial in between the two segments, and then come back and join us. But hopefully you guys read these because they're weird and sometimes good. And uh, so let's let's go do these in alphabetical order, Vince style. Um, so we'll start with uh, Aquaman Jabberjaw, number one, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Um, what did you guys think of this issue? This is uh, so I, I want to say sort of uh, upfront. Each of these books kind of treats the Hanna Barbera characters differently. This one treats it straight up like it's characters from the future that characters in the future come back in time and talk with Aquaman. That's sort of the premise of this uh, of this issue. So what did you guys think of this? Well, it's characters from the future, but they also kind of speak in that like 60s groovy... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's almost like a, like the future came back around and, and it's retro. Um, Are you one of the things everything old is new again? That's right, yes. Uh, it's a carousel, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I liked, a criticism that I had the last time they did this, was that they take the they took these characters sometimes and they strip them of their voices. You know, like for all their repetition and their faults, the Hanna Barbera Hanna Barbera characters have their specific vocal tics and th- and personality traits, and I felt like some of the um, books would sometimes strip those out a little bit and i know that's hard to do in a comic form when when we're talking about a cartoon medium that these were originally in but i liked the way that abnett approximated jabberjaws uh uh rodney dangerfield slash curly from the three stooges voice (laughs) yeah and uh I, I like that that was included. They weren't afraid to get goofy in that way, and that the Neptunes were this kind of like throwback Archie type uh, band. Um, I, I thought this was pretty good for what it was. I mean, another criticism I've had of these books is that they'll mention like uh, things that have clear, uh, uh, you know, two thousands era context as far as like Adult Swim goes. Like they mentioned C Lab in this, but there's absolutely no wink towards. I mean, I, I would argue that the original C Lab is far less popular than the Adult Swim updated comedy version. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think for folks of our generation, we weren't aware there was an original <coughs> C Lab until yeah. the Adult Swim version. And yet, there's not even the slightest wink. Like I'm not even. I'm not asking for them to go like full Howlin' Mad Murphy right. or anything. But there's not even like the slightest reference toward toward the comedy 
the Adult Swim aspect. Like, of, all they had to do was throw the word sea monkeys in there. Sea monkeys or mix. Someone calls someone a mailbox head or fig, fig nuts, nuts, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, um, oh, Zach, was that Kanye you were listening to there? Nope, wasn't me. <laughs> nope, that, that was a, uh, that was a weird thing I have on my phone just now. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but there is like a, you know, probably a 90% chance that you guys might hear a snippet of Kanye. Uh, um, keep it loopy, Zach. Keep it loopy. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is this is all right, all things considered. Uh, I'm not upset that I read it. Zach, how did you feel about it? Yeah, same. It was um, maybe my least favorite of the four. Um, but it, it was good. The Pelletier art was really good. Um, they, you know, they had a little bit of fun with Aquaman and his fish talking and and all that. You know, all the standard Aquaman stuff. As you do. Yep. As you do. What yeah. the f was a running joke? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was one bit. There was one comedy bit that I really liked, where. Um, Aquaman and that police officer are talking in that diner mm-hmm. and she's talking uh, about you know speaking to this giant like Arthur can you talk to this giant shark and then a, a like ominous screech interrupts them and it cuts over to the guy who's just writing the specials on the chalkboard <laughs> it's it's almost like a jaws type horror movie thing but then as you find out it's just the guy writing the specials up Thought, I thought that was a joke that worked really nicely on the page. Um, Zach, that's an in- interesting thing you said about this is maybe your least favorite one, and I I think that might be the case for me too, but that just stands to highlight how decent these... There's none of these that are garbage. You no, know? and I was expecting a lot of garbage. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to echo what you guys said. This might be my least favorite one, but it's also... It's not bad. Like, what's really weird about this is that if you look at this on the surface... This one is clearly going to be comedic because Jabberjaw, you can't really make. You can't do a dark and gritty Jabberjaw, right? Oh, wow. Uh, oh. give, give me some money and I'll try it. I was going to say, somewhere Tom King woke up from a dead sleep and said, <laughs> uh, challenge accepted. Um, he's he's going to rename him the Jaw. Everyone's going to call him Jaw. Yeah. Jaw, except jaw Bat, Cat. Except somehow there will be like his mother who will call him Jabber or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, but, you know, if you ask me initially, do I want these books to be sillier versus more serious, I would say, of course, I want them to be sillier. They're Hanna-Barbera DC crossovers. Like, these shouldn't be serious books. But this is the only one that really leans into the humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know how DC managed to make me, like, three kind of dark takes on Hanna-Barbera <laughs> characters, but they sort of did. Well... When we move on to the other ones, I'll kind of I'll touch on that a little more. I, I don't disagree with you, but I think I found humor on a different level. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like for instance, like let's like the Hong Kong Fui one. You're right; that was like a very dark and sort of played it straight. But I kind of found humor then in how kind of ridiculous that idea is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um. Again, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but these were actually pretty decent this week. Um, yeah. Anything to say about the Captain um, Caveman backup? I I really liked that a lot. 
I, I thought that was maybe I think I enjoyed that maybe better than the the main feature. I thought Colin's art was fantastic. Mm. Um and it was like weird how this was the I mean, I read these in alphabetical order and it was weird how strangely in continuity <laughs> some of these stories were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Flash, um, Flash and Speed Buggy was basically a rebirth yeah, tie-in. I've got a lot to say about that issue, but um, but yeah, we have you know the the new Fifty Two Shaz- version of Shazam Wizard, and then we have yeah new Fifty Two Billy Batson and Black Adam and Spectre Rock of Eternity. This. I like this, and this is some. I think this is some of the best Collins art I've seen in a long time. Yeah, he he really. I needs agree. A, he needs a Captain Caveman ongoing sentences. I never thought I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> he put he put some really excruciating detail into Captain Caveman. Let me tell you. Good. And actually, while I was reading it, this this is going to sound crazy, um, but while I was reading it, I almost wished that they stripped away some of this dialogue. And um, and because it really reminded me visually of times, at times of Jeff Darrow's Shaolin Cowboy. Ah, uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I almost I I know DC doesn't do stuff like this. DC and Marvel both would shy away from doing an issue that doesn't have a lot of dialogue or is going for more of like a tone poem feel than like, you know. But I I almost wish that he like. It was a story about Captain Caveman being transported to this time because there are some of these images of him leaping with the big uh, whatever that the club, you know, and like it really evoked Shaolin Cowboy. And I thought I almost wish there was like basically no diet. Maybe he says Unga Bunga occasionally, <laughs> <laughs> but I could really see that being especially for a backup. Like I wish DC would take a chance like that sometime. Yeah. But that's fair. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's move on to um, Black Lightning Hong Kong Fui, written by uh, Brian Hill, illustrated by the great, great, great team of Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, so this one kind of plays it straight, as, as Vince said, but um, I actually had a lot of fun with this issue. They, they sort of bury the lead by never really giving... Hong Kong Fui in origin or making sense of how there's a like a Kung Fu dog in the DC universe. But he just he's just kinda of there and they just kinda of deal with it. And honestly, I'm fine with that. I mean he's taken a... three quarters of the issue to make sense of it. So just, he's the number you know, one super guy. That's all is. you need. It's quicker than the human eye. <laughs> Zach, why don't you go first on this one? Um, this, yeah, this one was fun. I, I liked this one better than the Aquaman one, mostly because of the art. I didn't really care for the story that much at all. I think over, it was probably the weakest story of all of them, but there, the art and the characters were really there. good. There really wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that it's, um, I just I love seeing Cowan and Sienkiewicz doing stuff together, and I feel like this this particular pairing brought out a lot of the good things in their art, the things that I 
sort of miss in modern comics that those guys do really, really well. So I, I enjoyed that. I also felt like one of the things I liked about this issue visually is, and I have to get my credit right here, I think a lot of times when you get sort of older artists on a book, and I don't, I don't mean this negatively, I mean artists who worked for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, you get a colorist who doesn't understand what they're going for. But Jeremy Cox did the coloring here, and I feel like he colored it in a way that it doesn't feel uh, overtly like a throwback, but it feels like a, uh, it, it feels in line with the, with the time frame the book is taking place in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vince, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think I, I mostly agree with what you guys said. Zach, you were a little, it sounds like you were a little lower on it, but, but like the art, oh man, I, I love what they do. Um, and it fits really well with Brian Hill. Um, I, I felt a lot of these pages evoked a similar, um, feel or propulsion that, uh, Michael Cray has sometimes. And um, yeah, yeah, um, I dug it, and I found the ridiculousness of Hong Kong Fui uh, played straight kind of worked for me. On a, uh, maybe I, I was probably just in a good mood because sometimes stuff like that works for me, and other times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they <laughs> it helped that they didn't try to make him any more realistic than. He looks like Hong Kong Fui, you know? Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, I had fun with this one, too. Uh, what did you guys think of the Parker Collins uh, Funky Phantom story? <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah. It's bizarre. I loved it. It's bizarre. <laughs> well, Funky Phantom is bizarre. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, who saw a... Uh, who saw a a, a uh, like crepe paper thin metaphor for uh, modern times uh, gun <laughs> allegory happening in this in this not even allegory it's just a straight up like First Amendment story a Second Amendment story rather it's uh it's pretty wild yeah it's wild <laughs> oh man What's this weird, seems I, this I, seems to be where DC writers get to do that sort of thing yeah Han, um, Hanna Barbera. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just funny because DC never takes a political stand on anything. And uh, and here they are with a, a pretty anti-gun issue. So, yeah. All right, let's... um. Ha- I guess we'll go with the Flash speed buggy next. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Brett Booth. Um, those two were, those two names used to strike fear in the hearts of men, specifically uh, in this man. But while I'm still not a fan of Brett Booth's art, guys, I like this issue. This issue was pretty good. If you would have told me that an issue that had the character uh, Kilg percent sign RE <laughs> um, in the first five pages... Uh, that I would have liked it, I would have told you were nuts. But I did. I did like this. I like this book despite there being a not joke in it. 
<laughs> Your suit and, is and not a black. And a hashtag. And a hashtag. Oh, who is not who bury is the say- lead here? Oh, go go for it, Zach. Impulse? Max Mercury is in this book. Max so Mercury. And Impulse. And yep. Impulse. And but actually, impulse. It's, it's like the new 52 Bart Allen is there, too. At the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. And then Max Mercury... Not Max Mercury, I'm sorry. Jay Garrick. It's Jay Garrick. Did you guys see him in a new costume? Where is that? It's on that page. It's on the first page of the epilogue. You can kind of see him standing between the two wallies in the background. Is that... He's got the helmet. Holy shit, you're right. And then... but And also, like, Linda... Is Linda in love t- with <laughs> yeah, Linda tells Wally she loves him. So, oh man, was Rebirth supposed to be a lot further along? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, is this like? Did, did they just forget? <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck! What do we do? <laughs> oh yeah, there is Jake Eric. This yeah, this was bonkers. Yeah. This this was like Flash Rebirth porn. It really is. <laughs> but it also had speed buggy in it. <laughs> yeah. This this feels like it is in this feels like it's in continuity. This is yes, like it does. <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna and say before. This and the next one too. Yeah. Um, the, the first two kind of feel like they're firmly sort of Elseworlds type stories. Like the Black Lightning one takes place in the past, you know, in the seventies, which I don't even. I don't think Black Lightning existed in the '70s in the Rebirth timeline, right? So nah. that's yeah, not yeah. real. And you know, we talk about the Aquaman character coming from the future, all that. This feels like you know, it is legitimately happening in the Rebirth timeline. Yeah. Yep. Which is crazy. <laughs> Just bizarre. This is so weird. I, I'm really curious if, you know, whenever Jay Garrick finally gets officially introduced, if this is the, the costume that he has. And we saw it here first. <laughs> Just as they wrote it up, debuting in Flash Speed Buggy. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, Super Sense Dynamite. By Pete Tomasi and Fernando Pissarin. Was this the saddest comic you guys have read in a long time? Maybe, yeah. It, it, it had a nice little upturn at the end. It, it did. did, but there was there was a lot of... Maybe it's because I recently buried a dog. But the, there, were, there was a lot of uh, sad dead dog stuff happening here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, there was. Uh, <laughs> this was another issue where I prefer the Harvey Birdman character, uh, the Blue Falcon from Harvey Birdman, where he's like this uh, Latin lover mm-hmm. type guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, maybe he is. He's you know retroactively in Batman Inc. We don't know what kind of business he got was, up to. That was great. Yes, that was awesome. Um. Yeah, this was okay. My my one criticism, and I, I love Fernando Passerin's art. Um, I think he's a great artist. I think he did some really nice work on Justice League. 
I don't think he's a great fit for the Super Sons. I was going to say the same thing. I, I feel like he doesn't quite draw teenagers that well. Yeah, they're, they look a little too old, I think. I don't know. I think it was Chad Bowers back in the day who said that there's a real difference between drawing like teenage characters as teenagers versus just smaller adults. <laughs> and yeah. I think about that all the time. And like he definitely draws these characters as just smaller adults. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not as good as drawing them as teenagers. <laughs> we'll get you a tiny allergy spray. <laughs> we'll get you a tiny checking account. <laughs> He's a tiny Ted Danson. Hey man, look at that salt shaker. <laughs> that is huge, man. <laughs> Elvis coming back again. Yep, 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 absolutely. I am now the only human being to reference Tiny Elvis twice in a year. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Oh, it's been more than twice, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. You, you keep on going back to that well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but overall, guys, these are pretty good. Pretty good, all things considered. I mean, look, let, let's qualify this before we have somebody, you know, call us shills or some shit on the internet. Like, th- these are not, I would not want these in place of my normal comics. I don't know. In the case of some of this week's books, I would. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? This well, week? Yeah. Fame yeah. Conquest? <laughs> oh, I didn't read that shit. Come on. <laughs> there. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll talk about Doomsday Clock eventually. That's not the one. Maybe that's <laughs> not. Well, I have a lot of things to say about that. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, I, I do want to give a shout out to somebody before we take a break here. So last week we spent like 90 seconds of riveting radio trying to figure out what the backups were for various books uh, pre-Flashpoint. And what could only be described as a hero comments or on Multiversity Comics gave us the entire list of the backups. Wow. Um, yeah, it's actually uh, Nick Palmieri, who writes for Multiversity, so thank you, Nick. Uh, oh, you know, most of our fans are just our employees as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but so uh, the original lineup was uh, Black Canary was in the back of Green Arrow, Black Canary. Uh, Blue Beetle was in the back of Booster Gold. Captain Adam was in the back of Action Comics. Legion was in Adventure Comics. Manhunter was in Streets of Gotham. Uh, Metal Men was in Doom Patrol. The Question was in Detective. And Ravager was in Teen Titans. Um, later installments had the Atom in Adventure Comics. Um, quote, Awake, the new Krypton story. Do you guys remember that in Adventure Comics? Oh, man. Is it a little new Krypton Vaguely. story? Vaguely. See, I didn't read new Krypton in singles. I read it in oh, trade. Okay. And so yeah. a lot of that stuff was probably like collected differently yeah um coven of three in the teen titans the jim gordon uh back up in detective i forgot oh, about that that's right yeah. with the frank of art oh my goodness no no oh yeah you're right you're right yes um jimmy olsen in action uh liberty bell and our man in jsa all-stars mm-hmm. uh, Ragman in streets of gotham and then two-face in streets of gotham and then there were a couple of the, um, the uh, like, in the, uh, what's it called? What was that line? I keep wanting to say next wave, but that's not it. 
first wave. Um, oh, yeah. The shield Man. was in the back of the fox. The web was in the back of the hangman. The shield was mm-hmm. in the back of Inferno. Oh, the I thought... Fox Savage was in the back of Justice Inc. And the spirit was yeah. in the back of the spirit. And there we go. Oh yeah. man. man, they made such a big deal out of that too. Like those ads were in every comic Azarello for that first wave stuff. Was was on that? Remember? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who? Oh, it was Azarello and someone really like a really big artist too. Was it called First no. Wave? Now, now I'm doubting myself. Well, so those were those were the red. S- no, so those, not red sorry, circle. those were the red. That's circle, different. Yes, that's different. Yeah, those were the red circle, but the um. First Regs Morales was, was the yeah 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 Regs was the Regs and Phil Noto yeah, yeah. first wave was like uh, Doc, Doc Savage, Savage, Savage Spirit. And Spirit yeah and there was that those Batman, are all the same that Batman Noir book or whatever it was mm-hmm. um with J G Jones covers that's what I was thinking of yes 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 all right well thank you Nick uh, I we, we appreciate that uh and anyway. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about an insane comics. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back, and we have to start with The Man of Steel, number one. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um, so we got a chance to read this issue uh, pretty early because uh, I did a quick interview with um, with Reyes and his inker Joe Prado last week, and so I, I had asked the boys to read it and to help me with some interview questions. And uh, so I had a kind of a bold claim that I wanted to put out there, and I, I said this to—I think I said it to both you guys, but I. As I've reread it a couple of times, I also reviewed it for Multiversity Comics today. I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm firm in this conviction. I think this is one of the best Superman stories of the last seven or eight years, if not more. I really, really like this issue. I think it does just about everything you'd want a a new creative team on Superman to do. I think it it does a really nice job of bringing some of the classic elements, and I don't just mean the trunks or the spit curl or anything, I mean just sort of the classic character moments into the issue. I think the the tease with what happened to John and Lois is really interesting and is handled pretty well here. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy this issue. I think it's it's about as, as back to basics as you can get, and that's what Superman needed. But... I'll get into it a little bit more in a minute, but Zach, what did you think of this issue? Um, you know, I guess I didn't really think about it as as with high of praise as you gave it necessarily. Um, but you're probably right now that I think about it. Um, 
it's just Superman being very Superman. Like I, I you know, the parts of Tomasi and Gleason Superman that I really enjoyed had to do a lot with the family aspects yes. and the and Hamilton and everything. Less so about Superman just being Superman, which is what this was. Um, yeah, it was very, very good. Um, the art was really good. Oh, no, I was just going to say the art was really good. It is funny, though, how the the pool about um, which artist was going to be the first one to have a fill-in, and it was the first one. it was this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering if Jason Fabok is drawing that whole segment of the Maybe story. that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, you're right. Uh, Vince, overall impression to the issue? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think I agree with you, Brian. It, I'm you know I'm struggling to think. You know, there may have been a one-off story or two that I would hold up as highly as this. You know, there was some Grant Morrison action comics stuff back at the dawn of the New Fifty Two. As as messy as that run was, and kind of as uh, kind of creatively messed with, editorially messed with as that felt, there were some really strong issues of that. But did that feel um, like classic Superman? Because that's I, I think that's my main. That's point what you're saying. Yeah. No, I mean, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, not. Morrison's run ran this weird line of like. Um, we're going to take Superman back even more classic than you remember, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like most people, when they think of classic Superman, they think generally of the, um, like, Neil Adams stuff and and go from there as a starting point. When I think Morrison went back a little further than that and tried to incorporate some Golden Age elements in there, you know? Yeah. But... There were also things about it that definitely felt, you know, new 52 and brash and and different, you know. So, yeah, your point stands there. I think if you're looking for classic Superman, yes, this absolutely scratches that itch. And I think it does it fantastically. The stuff with Superman flying around, you know, I'm really hot and cold on Bendis, more often cold. But I think he really nailed that stuff at least in this issue. Um, friend of the show, listener, uh, Robert Maland on Twitter, uh, I wrote earlier this morning about how good I thought Man of Steel number one was, and uh, he said, this is just going to be Trinity all over again for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so, shouts, wrong. I was going to say, shouts to him, because that's, I fully expect that to happen. And I think that that's a definite possibility. Um, but right now, I really enjoyed this issue from beginning to end. And if I had any criticisms at all, um, and I really don't, it's that uh, 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 Rogel Zardello, whatever his name is. Rogo Zalotto. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> Roll doll. <laughs> Roge Antonio. Um <laughs> Uh, Roger Moore, second James, Rod- third James Bond. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, back from the dead. Um, uh, he still feels kind of like a. I don't think I don't. I'm not. I'm not ready to say he's like a bad villain or. A, he's just kind of a nothing. Like we've kind of yeah. seen this character yeah. before, you know. 
And Bendis has talked in interviews. When when Bendis describes Rogalzar in interviews, he sounds like he could potentially be a more interesting character. What we've seen on the page is not necessarily bad, but I also don't think it's mining any new interesting territory for a bulky, muscly uh, cape comic villain, you know? Yeah, to me, he feels like a New 52 Superman villain right now. Oh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, I kind of almost do. Uh, oh, visually, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I want to believe Bendis is coming from a good place here. Oh, so do I. I don't think it's going to stay that way. But right now, I agree with you. He's kind of a nothing villain. Um, sure. The other yeah. critique I have, and then I want to sort of heap some more praise, is, and this is purely an art critique, I don't think that Reyes does a very good job of making a Clark Kent who doesn't look just like Superman. <laughs> like I, I think one of the one of the best things about a good Superman run is having somebody who can draw a real difference between Clark and Superman visually, and this just looks like Superman combed his hair. Like there's nothing <laughs> about him that looks like you know weaker or less bulky or whatever. That's and that's a relatively minor gripe, but yeah. To be fair, I don't think Jason or Jay Fab. Yeah, he goes by Jason now. Jason Fabok does either. No, I agree with in you. In this there. issue. Yeah. 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 In fact, I would say most artists don't. More artists than not. Right. Um yeah. I don't know. There's I, I guess I see what you're saying. There's a couple panels where he's like hunched over his keyboard and I can kinda buy it. Um well, yeah, I yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um so I I wanna highlight one scene in particular. So to be fair, I, I, I stopped reading Bendis comics a while ago because I, I am not really a fan of his work. I would say the last Bendis thing I read with any regularity was when he relaunched Avengers and New Avengers. What was oh, it? Oh, man. That, like, initiative. Um, not the like first. Like the, the second time? Yeah. Was that was a... Uh, the, the something age. age the heroic of, age. The heroic, heroic age. age, yeah. yeah. That was probably the last time I read Bendis with any real regularity. I, I just I haven't been a big fan for a long time. I feel like the scene he did between Firefly and Killer Moth is like the best version of a Bendis scene. Yeah. Because it's it's relatively brief, and he drops something in there that I feel like, and I wrote this in my review today, I'm sure he isn't the first person to do this, but uh, Firefly says he listens for yelling, he listens for things like, where's the money? That's such a brilliant like character trait of Superman. That he would have to, he would have like keywords he'd listen for in these situations, and it's just such a nice little piece of storytelling. But the old Bendis, I feel like if this was written three years ago, he would have been like, "Stop yelling! Why? You should stop yelling! But why should I stop yelling?" <laughs> he listens. He listens for what? There are certain words he listens for, like what? Like where's the money? Like it would, just, it would have been. But this is like this is distilled down to one page. It's really well done. Man, I hope that Bendis can keep this up. Yeah. This also feels... This feels distinctly DC as well. Like, the inclusion of the, the like, elders at the beginning, which is a... DC's Illuminati? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. No, I mean, this is, like, a thing that DC used to do a lot more until, like, oh, yeah. John's era, yeah. I yeah. feel like. Um, it, yeah, it's all over the Wonder Woman stuff. Yeah, from, it like, is from like the eighties. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this feels, and and not not just that. There are other things too, but 
This feels like a really fresh Bendis. Vacuum sealed Bendis. Yeah. I, I hate to keep referencing the review I wrote, but it's, it sort of helped me organize my thoughts about this. But I talked about how like this this issue opens up on the literal DC universe. Like Krypton, these, these elders, you get a Guardian and a Thanagarian and a Tamarin and all this. Like It just shows that Bendis has bigger plans than just keeping it in Metropolis. You know, this is a DC universe book. It's this huge sort of concept. And I just think it's going to be... It, it, it always excites me when, there's, when a line feels really unified. And because sort of Super Sons is going to be taking place in the past, and because Supergirl is going to be spinning out of this, it just feels like Bendis has his finger on the entire Superman line. And that means that in six months, I'm either going to be reading all of it excitedly, or I'm not going to be reading any of it. <laughs> and that's a risk I'm willing to take, because I like it when the lines... Like, you know, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, the the immediate post... Final Crisis bat line, where everything felt really unifi- unified and really um, just, you know, every book sort of had a purpose in the greater Gotham scheme. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping this could be. Yeah. Again. Well said. From a guy who doesn't like Bendis. <laughs> For anyone out there who says that we're too negative... Listen to this podcast. We've we glowingly talked about Hanna Barbera comics, and now we're praising <laughs> Bendis. We're very fa- there's a couple comics uh, that DC puts out on a monthly or biweekly basis that are kind of our bugaboos that we we get worked up on. But we are very fair, I think, to a lot of comics that most people would probably think of as mediocre or whatever. I think we try to find the good. Um, but that's not this comic. This comic is genuinely good. Um, and just to just to piggyback on what you said about Bendis's writing here, because mm-hmm. because I'm a lapsed Bendis fan, um, probably I think I think I've determined that the only things I can really say that I've liked uh, more issues than I've disliked of his work were uh, Daredevil, Ultimate Spider-Man. And actually, that we, I won't belabor. Yeah, I, right. I won't belabor the point by trying to think of something else. It's really those. And um, so for me, he's written more books I haven't liked than books that I've liked. And the the great thing that you point out about his dialogue here, because I think what you say is true, is that you know he was that writer that you were describing from the beginning. One of his first issues of Powers. Uh, has this comic comical page that gets dragged out every once in a while when people are kind of dunking on Bendis, where it's just word balloon stacked on word balloon. Yeah, and 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 that was some of his earliest work, you know, or at least the earliest work that we that you know a lot of people have read. Right. Um. So he was that writer from the beginning. It's not like he's become that writer and become a worse writer because of it. It's just that. <sighs> it's all about picking and choosing your spots, right? Like he did that with a specific goal for what powers was going to be. Right. And he kind of made his name on that, but then he applied it to his Avengers with these like interminable interview sections. You know, Mm -hmm. 
he would end his he would end his issues with like a character being interviewed like in an uh, like office style <laughs> you know looking at the camera thing um and it just went on and on and on and i feel like he got indulgent with it and if he continues on this path here with this dialogue that if you were to just look at a page in isolation you wouldn't know that it was bendis dialogue until you dig a little deeper mm-hmm. i think that's that's peak bendis that's bendis figuring out to use an economy of words when it's i like i don't think i don't think a superman book is going to have that like quippy back and forth dialogue kind of that thing where where he's carrying the the thief away from the building and or the villains away from the building and he's kind of he does the uh bat you know they say batman drops people all the time and he says i know but it's funny when he does it that short little quippy back and forth is enough for superman yep. you know super superman is funny he can be funny he can be um boastful is not the right term but like he knows who he is right he and he's be a, con- little, a little aloof too yeah 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 or or, or toy a little bit with the villain that he's up against, you know, because he knows he's Superman and Bendis works that angle just, just enough in this for it to be extremely enjoyable. Even the scene with, uh, with the firefighter Melody Moore, uh like that could have been very overdone. And she, she does a couple of things that are, that are very Bendis-y. Like at one point she asks if she's taller than Wonder Woman and he says, yes, and she goes, I knew it. And then that, that kind of ends it. Whereas, again, in the past, I feel like that would have gone on forever. But it just it's a it's a nice it's a nice scene. It's not overplayed. It's just it's just it's just a good, good comic. That's all I can say. Yeah. Hmm. Zach, anything else to add? I feel like Vince and I dominated that conversation. No, no. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. So. Cool. Shall we talk about Doomsday Clock? <laughs> Once dig in. Or you want to save that for last? I don't care. Let's do it now. Doomsday Clock number five, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. Um. Okay, so Zach, you had texted us that you had like a mess of feelings about this issue. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we let you start here? You just take it away, and we'll we'll chime in when necessary. The only thing I liked about this was the back matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a far more nuanced. Uh, yeah, way, I thought the way you the way you text us, I thought you were gonna have a lot more to say about it. So, I mean, that's like distilling it. Like this issue is so. This issue, the story part is all the things I used to love about Jeff Johns, only like bad. Like, everything is just dark and bad. Um, Like, let's have a breakdown of all the things in here that would have been Zach Nip, like, five years ago. We've We've got the Legion of superheroes showing up. We have a lot of legacy heroes. We have international super teams. We've got, um, um, the original... The Alan Scott Green Lanterns, Lantern showing up. Um, we've got Black Adam doing stuff. Um, that's like five or six things right there that are peak Jeff Johns. And, you know, at that time in DC Comics are things that I would have eaten up. 
but it's somehow just so joyless. <laughs> so I, I have a really sort of succinct way I was thinking about this issue, and I think you guys will instantly understand and agree with what I'm, with what I'm saying. This feels like the DC universe. This is like the DC characters in the Watchmen universe, uh-huh. but it's the other way around. Like this is a story about those about Watchmen characters coming to the DC universe, but it feels like the exact opposite book of that. Yeah, this this feels like a book where like Superman is impotent and like yes, and like Lois Lane just like rags on him all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Just like calls him a beta male all the time. <laughs> and like goes to make out with his brother or something. So so he's not John Osterman, he's Dan Dryberg in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean this is like the worst version of the DCU. But 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 do you do you agree with me that like there yeah, are characters I do. that look similar but they don't feel similar at all? Uh-huh. Nobody feels like themselves, especially in the light of Rebirth. Mm-hmm. This feels like a totally different comic universe. While I was reading this, Gosh. I said, while I was reading this, I said to myself, and I've said this w- with every passing issue, like, okay, we just got to remember that this is a year in the future or whatever. And And now with this issue, I read it and I was like, I have no idea how the main DCU that we've been reading gets to this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know what I mean? Oh, man. To belabor my point from earlier, if you go to the page um, where they're at the Daily Planet, the middle right panel is just, like, begging to be <laughs> redone. <laughs> with... Hang on. What, what page in the PDF is that? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm on Comicsology right now. It's page eight because it has page numbers. Or page five. I'm sorry. It, it, there are page numbers at the bottom. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're talking about the one with uh, Lois fucking Lois. Clark. Yeah, yeah. The dialogue is going to be replaced by uh, uh, a tweet from <laughs> one fucking. Uh, ma- uh, <laughs> misogynist guy on twitter that oh the was one like, the one misogynist on twitter yeah that's <laughs> no no the one the one that was complaining about uh having to men having to be retired to their man cave because oh, their yeah. wife is mad at them or whatever yeah, yeah. that's this totally... is like this is like jordan b peterson would have a field day with this <laughs> <laughs> look at the impotent superman at the desk He's... Lois is treating him so poorly. Why? Why is he half of Des Miller? <laughs> I can't do a I can't do a Kermit voice, which is what he actually sounds like. Mm. He sounds um, like Kristen. Mm? Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Perfect. Look at this oh. quote, Superman at his desk. <laughs> the only thing that he lords over is his own impotence. You have no idea how close you're coming to George really. with that voice. Oh my god, go listen to a video later if you Do can I stand. Have to? No, you don't have to, but Well, I'm but telling... to really be able to critique him and understand him, you do have to listen to at least sixty hours of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to take him out of context. That's, that's true. <laughs> oh, context Lord. is so important for all this stuff. Um Yeah. Nice. <sighs> um 
Okay, my point about this comic is going to be the kind of the same thing I've said all along, except this issue really cemented it for me in a way that I'm absolutely certain of and can't be convinced otherwise. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about the moral implications of using Watchmen anymore. I've already said we're, we're past that. I just don't think this story needs to contain the Watchmen at all. I don't think their uh, insertion into this world is having any effect on the story, like in any meaningful way. Mm, you're you're definitely right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. All, all of this, um, uh, the the Superman theory stuff exists completely without them. Mm-hmm. And this this reassembling of the Legion of Superheroes and the JSA, etc. All of this stuff could completely happen without Rorschach and without. Now I'm sure there's going to be ways that they dovetail in a little bit more specifically, but if you gave me a comic that was called something other than Doomsday Clock and had nothing to do with Watchmen, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something dirty, but I won't. Yeah, I, um, I went. I was going to go there and said, "Hickory Dickory Doc." Yeah. <laughs> If you had a book that was called the Andrew Dice Clay Journals. Um, no, but but all of this same stuff where it's the, the Superman theory going on and Lex Luthor may be involved and maybe the, um, you know, the, the JSA is somehow reassembling in the background. Um, all of that stuff is absolutely what I wanted to see out of Rebirth. And none of the Watchmen stuff really has anything to do with that at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, to me, it feels completely super- superfluous. It feels like a way to put Watchmen on the cover, convince people that these characters are in here, and then get them to buy it. And, of course, it's a sales leader every time it comes out, right? But the first four issues were majority Watchmen. This is the first time it's been majority DCU characters. Yeah, but then those first four issues feel like they have extremely little to do with this. That's true. You know, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I like that's why I say this issue cemented it for me because the stuff that I want is here, and I agree with you, Zach, that that, that it feels too dark and it feels. I agree with you, Brian, that it feels more like they're in Watchmen's world than the other way around. But I just isolate the plot points of kind of reassembling. Pretend that this was actually an extension of rebirth in a more overt way Mm. that's that's all stuff that i want and the back matter speaks to that like you said zach yes the giant super teams are so good there's a lot to unpack there yeah i know it'll never happen but i want a book about every one of those teams yeah you know it's not it's not gonna happen it's not gonna come close but like (sighs) but you know i was thinking about that today about how you know john said there weren't gonna be any tie-ins any crossovers but now I almost would rather be reading a like, you know, four issue mini about each of these teams instead of. Or even just a one shot about each of the teams. Yeah, even yeah, even yeah, even just a one shot. Even one <laughs> shot, <laughs> even. Yeah, when I saw the the when I saw the three words Justice League Europe, mm-hmm. I flipped. You know. Yep. Oh, man. We'll get, we'll get to those in a minute because I do want to talk about those. But the other thing I wanted to say about this is that um, what I find really, I don't want to say interesting because that, that's overselling it here. But I, I just, 
I don't understand. I, I, I don't even know. What, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I guess when I recently went back and I reread uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one. Mm-hmm. I, I read it on the two year anniversary of that issue coming out, and that was written by Johns. And obviously only one page really ties into Doomsday Clock, that last page, right? But that that issue felt so hopeful and felt so connective between past, present, and future. And it just, it really, even though that I hated that last page and I still hate the idea of the Watchmen characters interacting with the DC characters, because of the... 31 pages or whatever that led up to that that were so hopeful I thought okay this can work because the tone of the overall overall line is going to be so different than Watchmen that it's going to drown out the sort of dourness of Watchmen and then when this book was announced I thought okay well this is again we've talked about this before how this is going to be John's you know and he said this is going to be his sort of critique of Watchmen and his sort of idea of superheroes reigning supreme over cynicism guys is that is this that book i kind of think it still (laughs) might be i I really kind of do and even with all like my like problems with this you know all the things i just said part of me kind of still thinks it has a purpose i i think he's trying to say something and this will all before I, I think that eventually knowing John's and how he writes and what he does, I think that it will all end up resolving in some kind of like you mentioned, Brian, like some kind of really hopeful, you know, sappy love letter to the DC universe as a whole and why, you know, why it's not Watchmen. I think this is the this issue more than any other one is is him doing the DCU as Watchmen. Okay, so let me ask the follow up question then. The original plan, as Vince mentioned, was that this was a year ahead of all the DC books, and, mm. we were gonna, and all the books were going to catch up to this. Do you think that plan is still on the table? Or is this just going to be something that's happening outside of all that now? I I think that the second one, I think that the whole schedule is like so messed up now, and I could totally see, uh, I could see like a situation like leading up to convergence where you know everybody's storylines just kind of wrap up around the time that Doomsday Clock is ending, and then we get some kind of big new status quo shift where everything is re... if not relaunched, then rebranded as, like, post-Doomsday Clock, and everything's different. Maybe we have, like, some kind of one-year-later type thing where all the books pick up just post-Doomsday Clock, and they're dealing with everything. Vince, what do you think? I think... I... I think they're going to... Oh, man. It's complicated, because I think they're going to let Johns do... They're going to let Johns see his vision out. 
they are not going to tell him at the end that whatever you had planned, we're not, no longer headed towards. Agreed. You know? Agreed. That said, I think it's really instructive for just how messed up this all got because of the delays that, you know, we, we always, we always talk about when a book does the vision of the future thing, like splash pages that show possible outcomes of storylines or possible future storylines. We don't know about yet how that's like DC three catnip. Mm -hmm. And we almost always refer to that as Johnsian, you know, Mm -hmm. It is very instructive to me for how DC views what they do generally or the direction of their DC universe that Scott Snyder and his band of guys who have been tasked with taking the Justice League and sort of making them big and eventy well, Doomsday Clock is delayed and going on. It's, it's interesting to me that they are doing the Johns thing. They are teasing all these future storylines that reverberate throughout the DC universe, and it makes and me. Snyder said he has a two-year plan for Justice League. Yep, and it makes me wonder. It makes me think. DC could play this perfectly by saying, "Okay, Snyder, you enact your two-year plan." Johns has like what? a year and a half left on Doomsday Clock? It's it's like a year and two months or something. Sure. So, they could fudge it somehow, I think, because Doomsday Clock, I mean, there have been books that have been delayed for longer than that. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more delays for Doomsday Clock coming. You know, well, right now it's supposed to be three months before we get the next issue. No, they they changed that. They changed. Well, it, it's, yeah, it's they... still on DC's website as August 29th. No, they, they moved it back to July though, last month or last week rather. Usually they update that stuff though. Yeah, there was a big article. I think it was Newsarama about it. Well, okay. Well, whatever the case, I, I feel like de- more delays are. I'll coming. believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, Zach. Um, there's a way that they could line this up so that. They could say, all right, Snyder, you've got this plan for Justice League. Johns, you have this. You had this plan for post-Doomsday Clock. Come together at about the same time and make this work in the end. You know? They could do it. But I think it's really... <sighs> the ball was in Johns' court to get this all lined up in two years or, you know, 12 issues or whatever, and it kind of, he fumbled that. And so I, well, I feel like they're not going to tell Johns to go screw. They're clearly moving around without what he had planned on their minds, you know? I'm sure he didn't plan for Bendis to come in and take Superman, you know, yeah. when, he, when he started all this. I'm sure he didn't plan for Snyder to have a major... uh line defining run with the justice league characters you know but i feel like in the end they're gonna find a way to make it work because jeff johns is too important to them not to and i don't know if i agree with that but i think that's what's gonna happen it's not going to be separate of everything can can we talk about how enigmatic johns has become yeah yeah it's weird it is really weird 
He's the Melania Trump of the DC. <laughs> Nobody's seen him. Oh, it is weird He's though because you know he used to be so front and center with DC. He was the face of DC for so many years. And now but, he's like the Willy Wonka, <laughs> just like hiding away. He is out there. He is out there promoting movie and TV you'll stuff. See? Yeah, yeah, we know you have a good voice. I, I have a terrible voice. Um, uh, he is out there doing the TV and movie stuff, and he's pretty prominent in that. I mean, the the I don't. The, I guess I just maybe don't because I don't follow that stuff. I never see. I feel like I never see. John saying anything he on the internet. In all those press releases. Yeah, and and for like the TV show stuff, more so for the oh. movies, it seems like. But yes, yeah, but yeah. for TV like Titan, I guess that, like, I, I feel, feel like, like he's a major shows, force. Uh, and... Yes, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but especially that whole that new app, like all the shows spinning out of that app. Uh, he's, he's been big into all that press stuff for sure. Um, but but your point is well taken, Zach. When it comes to the comics, like. Everybody still thinks of John's. There are people that still throw his name out. Well, I bet John's is going to do this book once Doomsday Clock ends. Or I bet John's is going to have. And you're right, Zach. There, He does feel like this Wonka-esque figure who puts out an issue of uh, Doomsday Clock every once in a while. And is there really a future for him as a major comic writing force there anymore? I kind of feel like... DC and Johns want to play it as if there is. But in the end, I, I just think nobody wants to come out and say at some point the the DC Comics publishing line is not going to have a John Z in direction anymore. You know? So, yeah. So I think two things. First of all, the only book that has been that Johns has talked about definitely doing outside of Doomsday Clock is him and Jay Fabok are going to do that Three Jokers book. <laughs> yeah, he has come true, out and yeah. said that. Are they, though? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, he's come out and said that, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if the way around all of this is that all the DC creators have been told, like, all right, listen, you know, it seems like July of next year is when Doomsday Clock is scheduled to wrap up. So let's fudge it till September, right? If they say, all right, in September, all your books jump forward a year. And that year is the Doomsday Clock. Is like is like three months before Doomsday Clock and three months after Doomsday Clock, so that you don't have to worry about getting Metamorpho exactly where he is at the start of Doomsday Clock. But there's an he's close enough that you can sort of squint and see how it works. So you think they're going to do a time jump? They're just going to do a time jump. Yeah, I think that's the only way to really square this circle at this point. Oh, that's interesting. Right? I mean, I, I can't see... It just seems to me like there's no way... There was a path from the beginning of Rebirth to the beginning of Doomsday Clock, and that has been, like, irrevocably damaged by all the delays. And so instead of just... Because we saw for a while that we felt like certain books were just treading water trying to wait for things to catch up and eventually DC you, you can see it like Batgirl and the Birds of Prey is the perfect example that book probably was supposed to end a year ago mm-hmm. or at least six months ago but they mm-hmm. had no plan for it so they kept it going longer than it probably should have and it just it just floundered for a while but eventually DC said okay we're not going to do this anymore 
We're gonna we're gonna cut ties with this. We're gonna move on. We're gonna do these new things because we have to give our readers something interesting to care about. We can't just be waiting for them to catch up to what Johns wants. But I'm with you also, Vince. I don't think they're gonna just shit can Johns here. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna want to execute his vision the best way they can. The best way to do that is to just have a time jump someplace. I think. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be the best storytelling device. I think it's the best in terms of how can we make sure that all this stuff happens without it feeling too obtrusive. Yeah. Like when you think it, about it, when 52 happened, that was the missing year in the DC universe, right? Mm. But there wasn't a ton of like in Green Lantern, there wasn't a ton of reference to stuff that happened in that year. No. And I feel like you could do it the same way here. Where, like, little things are referenced, but you can jump ahead a year or two, and it wouldn't necessarily <laughs> feel all that different. I think it's funny, now that you say that, because I think a time jump works just fine for you and me and for Zach. Zach and I, you know, we, we, we read manga, we watch anime, there's time skips all over those. Uh, and we just deal with them, right, Zach? Yeah, I we actually really like time skip as a storytelling technique. Oh, yeah, Gurren, you ever see Gurren Lagann? I, I've watched some of it. I need oh. to finish it one day. That does like a couple time skips, and they're incredible when they happen. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just think it's funny that uh, if the new 52 was supposed to be like this entirely new initiative that was going to be new reader friendly, get everybody back in the store, and nothing was ever going to be delayed, every book was going to come out on the day it was supposed to come out. And they, they focused really weirdly too much on this timeline where they were like, okay, it's a five-year, uh, a five-year, you know, they've been around for five years. And every year is going to be more or less, you know, they, they, were, they were trying to make it very segmented, right? Mm -hmm. So that everybody could follow it really easily. And I love that by going back to Rebirth and us just speculating on this, not only do we get all the characters and stuff that we wanted back from pre pre flashpoint but we're also going to get like delays time skips things that could make no sense to non-seasoned comic book readers you know but see does does a time jump really hurt the non-seasoned reader i i think it is a mental block for people whether it's whether it's actually well executed or co confusing or not I think there are people. There are people who are out on social media, and I see them all the time. Who are just like, I can't figure out how to get in into comics, you know. And I don't think a time skip helps. Well, see, I, I don't think it hurts though. I think you can say, look, you know, this is the first story that's happening after this. But they don't believe that. You you can tell people that, and they will like. They're, like I'm I'm not trying to put the burden on them either. But there are people who just kick and flail and. They like, like comics you cannot figure out, you know, and you can't convince them that if you, I promise you, if you just jump in on any issue, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Like just fly blind for a little while, you know, Can I, there are people who legit think you need to go back and read. They have to pull events that you, that you need to pull events. Yeah, of, uh, exactly. Comics, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, because else, I mean, that's because generally know? that's how stories work, but not yeah. in comics. Yeah. Can, can I propose a really, um, cynical take on how this is all going to end? Absolutely. Can't Dr. Manhattan just erase all of this? <laughs> yep. He could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
that'd be really a lame ass way to go. Yeah. But I do also. But he wouldn't say... be able to erase all of it. Why? I mean, I guess I, I, maybe we need to get into like semantics here because I mean, this story is going to lead to some status quo changes for sure. Like things that happen in this are gonna, you know, we're gonna have a legion, we're gonna have a JSA, we may have a question. Um, yeah, oh, that's fair. He, yeah, uh, Shazam stuff. I, maybe you already yeah. said that. No, I didn't. But but um, like that. There's gonna be some effects. Not to say that like stuff can't happen, and then he makes better again you know like he does the good version yeah (laughs) he does the the charlie brown like wave his hands in front of the dc universe and fix things (laughs) yeah yeah wouldn't it be wild if like we just uh, go back to like like flashpoint never happened (laughs) oh I, i think that's what not everybody wants but i think that that is kind of the tacit expectation of rebirth that i don't think was ever going to really come to fruition but i think we're all just kind of until rebirth does totally resolve itself i think we're all just kind of waiting for that to happen we and just I don't saw think it... like nine flashes in a fucking speed buggy comic i feel yeah, like we're we closer to pre-flashpoint than we ever realized <laughs> well we are but i think there's always going to be a yeah but you know what oh, i mean oh yeah that's that's what i'm saying yeah i do just want to yeah. say before we get off this gary frank is still doing really really pretty art Oh yeah, I cared. I love that. That yeah, Gary Frank is great. That actually, that's my favorite thing about the um, the back matter. That's not the map. Those portraits that Gary Frank does of those characters, like the the non Caitlin Snow, Killer Frost, yeah, and Metamorpho. Like, I love, I love that he is drawing them as if they're very. Um, like they could be Watchmen characters, you know. Yes. There's that level of yes. seriousness and detail to them. Um, that you know, that there's there's a there's a weight to the way that he draws these characters. They feel like epic, uh, carved out of stone heroes. You know, um, I love the I love how his art achieves that. I just wish. It came without the actual overt Watchmen stuff, but yeah, so, I like his Joker too. I, I really like the way that he draws Joker. I like that Joker page. It's the first time I've been interested in a Joker thing in forever. Yeah, and I'm not interested in Joker interacting with Mime and Marionette, but I just right. like I just like the way he looks there. I, I love his Man Bat. Yeah, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, can we just talk about these teams just with a little more detail? Yeah. The back issue, the back matter, rather. Okay, so we get the people's heroes from Russia, and uh, a couple of those characters are, you know, like Negative Woman, obviously is a negative man. Uh, Spin, I believe Tundra was a character before. I think a lot of the like Negative Woman and maybe Tundra as well were part of like a Doom specific Doom Patrol incarnation okay a lot yeah i know negative woman was throughout here Mm -hmm. yeah um i don't know about tundra though here tundra just sounds familiar to me (sighs) yeah um tundra is a member of the global guardians that's what i'm thinking of okay yeah yeah 
I think probably a couple of those characters are actually. Vostok, <laughs> Aquaman, and the others. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Black Eagle is a freaking uh, Marvel character. <laughs> it is. It's Moon, like Moonstar's uncle or dad or something. Wrong Obviously. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Um, Justice League Europe, we get uh, Crimson Fox, who is a classic JLE character. Uh, Night Runner, mm-hmm. who was the, mm-hmm. the, the Muslim member of Batman Incorporated from France. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Fleur de Lis has been around before. Uh, or maybe I'm just uh, imagining that, but I, I seem to remember that the character. Um, but I definitely do want to read a JL, a JL ebook with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, Knights Inc. That's a super fun idea. Like Batman Inc. Yeah. with Knight and Squire. Uh, oh, have- Canterbury Cricket. Yep. Canterbury Cricket. Yeah, DC Nip right there. <laughs> Fleur de Lee is a uh, Len, Len Wein creation. Okay. Uh, Infinity Inc. number 34. Okay. There we go. Um, as you guys know, the Outsiders, Geoforce, that's my jam. Yeah. Um, but I also I find it interesting that there was a, a directly pre-Flashpoint version of the Outsiders where the Eradicator joined the team. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Dan DiDio, and nobody seems to remember that team. But here, the Eradicator is back on the Outsiders. Yeah. Along with Terra 4. I love that they're going with... With four, like, that's how uh, who's who used to list everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that they're that, that, that they're doing that. Um, well, I, on the sta- did you notice that on the statue in last week's Flash War comic, they had Iris West two with the Roman numeral two on the. Um, I, I believe that's because she's the second, though. I believe. Well, yeah, she's but after that, like versus. Oh, like, okay. Like, 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 I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, she's yeah. like the second in- incarnation of that. That's her actual name. Well, I know that's her name, but it's just interesting that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah, you don't see it written out like that. I, I I I understand the distinction though. Yeah. Um. Here's. But that's a very that's a very DC Comics way of designating. Oh, absolutely. Legacy. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean the Great Twenty. Mm-hmm. That that is so in our wheelhouse, <laughs> yeah. With 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 the whole JLU, it's JLC rather, and um, August General and Iron and the rest of the Great Ten there. Um, I am the Socialist Red Guardsman. <laughs> sure you are. Um, Can I be the? Uh, oh, what's the physician's name? I'm, I wasn't on the page. Uh, Accomplished perfect physician. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You don't want to be ghost fox killer? I do. <laughs> I do want to be ghost fox killer. <laughs> I'm totally the mother of champions. So. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> You're the seven deadly brothers. Yeah. Uh, so we have the Doomed, which is a team from India, which I believe... Sounds like a Doom Patrol offshoot. Yes, and I believe Animal Vegetable Mineral Man is a DC character. <laughs> Yeah, that's a Doom Patrol villain. That and sounds a... Morrisonian. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's uh, the Hayoth, which is the Israeli team. And I don't know, none of those names necessarily jumped out at me, but they're all names that I could totally believe 
our DC characters. Yeah. Where's Gal Gadot on that? Yeah, I know. But, like, it's also, like, Dybbuk and, Go- and Gollum and Seraph. Those are, like, very, very common Middle Eastern mythology names. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Animal Vegetable Mineral Man was a Doom Patrol character from the Arnold Drake and Brumo Premiani run. When is that? Yeah, that was, like, uh, that was the original one. The 60s. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Well, so anyway, listeners can tell which part of this issue we really like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we spent 20 minutes talking I, about And it. I do want to say, you know, for all the shit we just gave Johns, I think the idea of Black Adam inviting all the metas to Kandak, or Kandak, however we're pronouncing that, uh, is, is, a, is a very brilliant Black Adam move. Like, that, that feels very in line with his character. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to love this, like, this Metropolis propaganda poster in the back. Or not, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> it was it was fine. It's yeah, cool. no, it's cool. It's, it's, it's... Okay. <laughs> cool, guys. Thanks. Um... Alright, I have a specific order I, I want to talk about the rest of the book, so if you guys are cool with that. Sure. So let, let's jump over to the Green Lanterns Annual, uh, written by Andy Diggle and uh, illustrated by Mike Perkins. So I, I think all of us were, were pretty excited at the prospect of Andy, if Andy Diggle doing some DC work. It had been a couple of years since he had done so. And to my knowledge, I don't think he's ever done Green Lantern stuff before, or at least hasn't done a lot of it. So I was pretty excited about this um, this annual, and while there were parts of it I liked, it sort of left me cold. What did you guys think? Zach, take it away. This is probably my least favorite comic of the week. Did you fall down a cliff before you said that? Because <laughs> you got very quiet. Oh, sorry. My mic was out of the way. <laughs> he hated it that mic. much. He hated it so much he threw himself off a building. I did. Was yeah, yeah. It really, as he no. fell. I really didn't like this. Vince? Yeah, um... Ugh. I'm struggling to even remember what the conflict was. There was that lost lantern that, like, oh, yeah. power saved his entire race of people. You know what I liked? I liked the uh, Green Lantern stuff where they had to make the speech at the beginning where they were all kind of gathered for that ceremony or whatever. Uh Um, That stuff I kind of dug because I like when comics take time out to do that, especially when you've got all the core members around. Um, Except for Guy and Kyle and Kilowog and... Well, except for the bad ones. All the good ones are there, so... Kyle is never a bad lantern. I'm kidding, I know. I will come to your house and... I don't even believe that. I just said that to piss you I off. Know. Um uh Guy's the only bad lantern. Oh uh, <laughs> I like anyway, Guy. The stuff about the stuff about the 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 old lantern or whatever struggling to adapt to modern times or whatever is whatever. I don't even really remember what <laughs> the deal with that guy was. I feel like we've seen that story before. Um 
So I yeah, I didn't think this was great. And the art was I don't know. There were times mm. when the art was really nice and then like a page later oh god, what am I looking at? Like it's, yeah. it was yeah, it was no. really up and down. There were times when it was like JT Jones Final Crisis and then there were times when it was Dog Monkey Final Crisis. No, those are both good things. <laughs> All right. There is there is a very weird page if you're looking at the PDF. It's page. Uh, let's see here. Oh, come on. Whatever page it is, where for no reason it, it appears that uh, Simon just lifts his shirt off to show up his show off his abs. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, don't really know why that's happening, but no, I I, I guess you know, in in Andy Diggle's defense, this is probably a. A relatively tough assignment because you have to tell a standalone story that isn't going to affect continuity at all because it appears that they are uh, uh, nutface uh, that they are um, they're about to sort of reset all the Green Lantern mythology or at least reset the Green Lantern books for for Grant Morrison hopefully to take over. So you sound like Rich Johnston now. It's well, a reboot, everyone. It is. It's a total reboot. Everyone, everything's changing. Uh, Doomsday Clock is causing a total an original reboot. Um, yep, you're right. But no, it, you know it, it's a it's a pretty uh, an enviable task. But we've also seen some really good standalone annuals in the last couple of years, and Diggle's a good writer, and it's a shame that this book is not that good. Do you think they made Diggle read 45 issues of Green Lanterns before he wrote this? God, I hope not for his sake. <laughs> I mean, how else would he have known for uh, Jess's ring to call her Jaybird? <laughs> how else would he, uh, he know that she has anxiety? And, uh, and Simon has abs? Yeah, right. And Simon likes cars, is what I was going to say. Okay. But... I mean, that's just obvious. Okay, I don't know what that means, but... Because he's, that's who he is. He's Mr. Car Guy. <laughs> yep. Right. Um, let's talk about again. I know I'm skipping around, but I have a reason for this. Let's talk about the Batman wedding uh, prelude to the wedding, part one. Robin versus Rachel Ghoul by Tim Seeley and Brad Walker. Um, Vince texted us that there's a dildo hidden in this comic. <laughs> I tried to find it, and so- I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold I on. tried to find it too. I don't see it. Maybe I'm. I think seeing... I found where you think it is. <laughs> where it's uh, a wine bottle? No. It's in, it's in, is it in the bag? At it's the, in the bag. The I don't think that's. Issue. I don't think that's what you think it is. Well, this is this is one hell of a Rorschach test. Then I guess <laughs> I see what I want to see. Wait, we're done Let talking me... about Doomsday Clock and Rorschach. Hi, oh, yep. That book is dildos. <laughs> Let me find it for you guys. Talk amongst I, yourselves. I see I'm it. I see it. it. I know it's what you're talking pink, about. It's the little pink warrior. I don't know. Look I mean, I it. guess I could it's see ribbed. it, but it also maybe just looks like a box of something else with yeah. like a line running across it so yeah. that it looks like the head. You got to just... Oh, the head of what, Zach? <laughs> what were you... <laughs> the head of the family. Come on. <laughs> I just think, you know, it's positioned right next to a dick on a stick. That is, you're right. <laughs> I do think it's funny that, like, you know, for bachelorette parties, there's often, like, 
dick-shaped party favors, and yeah. there there is a dick-shaped party favor right there. Yeah. Um, I also like how she's um, she's marrying Batman, but like Dick is still the hot one that the toys yeah. for the bachelorette party are like modeled after. <laughs> From what I gather in the DC universe, literally every person on Earth has jerked off to Dick Grayson's ass. So okay, <laughs> yeah, all, I think that's canon. Yeah, it's all anyone talks about in DC Comics anymore. And now she's got the tool for doing that, <laughs> and it's it's right there. Look at that. That's what that is. I I'm hope I open you. up this IM and you just MS painted a big dog <laughs> onto a piece of uh, artwork. I just I included a photo from my collection. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's talk about the issue in general. Um, so I was not looking forward to these uh, preludes because I'm not looking forward to the wedding. So it's it seemed like it was going to be. Uh, a pretty boring and uninteresting, uh, you know, series of comics. But this was pretty fun, guys. This was, I liked this a lot. I liked it a lot, too. Um, very funny, classic Tim Seeley humor. Uh, someone getting drugged, which just seems to be a Tim Seeley. He loves to have somebody get pricked with a, a needle or a blade or something and then have them hallucinate. That's true. Which I appreciate. This panel of uh, Damien saying, I look great. Yeah. I read that in Knives Chow's voice. I had the exact same read. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of fun. Lots of fun. He, he sneaks in to play uh, Cheese Viking. Yep. And which the high score gets erased. Yep. Let's, let's, uh, let's break that down for a second. Because... So Cheese Viking, I keep thinking that that's a reference to like an actual video game. You know how like sometimes in um, comics or movies or whatever, they reference a real life thing, but they change the name slightly to like synonyms of the actual name. Right. So Donkey Kong becomes like Ape Battle or something. Yeah, exactly. So like I'm I'm trying to figure out if Cheese Viking is a... uh, reference to some video game that I'm just not thinking of, or if it's simply because Tim Seeley's from Wisconsin and the Packer Viking rivalry is so strong. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know why, but I, in my mind, I imagined it as altered beast. <laughs> that's the second altered beast reference from you in, in one day. No, it's didn't not. You, didn't you say, Wait, what did you? Oh no, that was all. All, all your base are belong to us. Yes, exactly. Yes. Altered bases rise from your grave. Yes, that's right. It's the second video game meme reference you made today. There is no chance to survive. Make your time. <laughs> so, so when I when I was in college, my like first month of college, there was a fire drill because of course there was because it's college, and somebody had written on a whiteboard in the hallway, "All your base are belong to us," and that was the first time I was ever aware of it. And then my friends and I got very obsessed with that for. A very long time. Nice. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, yeah, uh, this issue, it, it was, you know, super fun. Again, it, it, it's pretty much nothing essential happens here. I'd say the most, quote, important thing that happens is the the Damien-Selena uh, conversation from the end of it. Mm-hmm. But it very was, sweet. Yeah, it was very sweet. But just overall, a, a pretty fun issue and... 
it brought a little humor and a little heart to what is surely the least romantic marriage ever in a publication <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much implied that they're only physically attracted to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you guys. I think it's sweet. Um, anytime you get the future, the high-collared future Damien Batman in in a comic, I, I, I approve of that. We've got a little of that. Yeah. Um, what else? We, I suppose we got to talk about the, the final uh, kind of epilogue reveal. We have to. I mean, it's it's a little, it's a little twisted to talk about, guys. Little... <laughs> well, I so, somebody online was like, they were talking about on Twitter how good this issue was, and then they were like, and that last page, and then they did like a bunch of emojis, and I was like, ooh, I, ooh, this 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 is gonna be good. I this this will be something. And then I got and to the last bars. page, like, oh, it's the fucking yeah, these bars, <laughs> and, then, and then it was literally poopy scoop at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it's the fucking Joker again." Okay, <laughs> like I'm sorry, but you can't you can't get me with the Joker anymore. Like, <laughs> you can't. I know that's a personal bias thing, but you cannot show me a Joker reveal and have me go, "Holy shit, the Joker is here!" <laughs> like, I have now made it my mission in life to make you <laughs> say that exact sentence somehow. <laughs> You're gonna fly to Minneapolis and show up on my doorstep, dressed dressed as the Joker, and instead of like me being really freaked out or being like, "Oh, Brian, what are you doing here?" I'm actually gonna say it's the freaking Joker. Then I'm gonna turn around and walk away. Yeah, to the airport. Yep. Well, (laughs) well, I've done my job. Yep. My round trip flight actually leaves in an hour, so could you give me a ride to the airport? (laughs) Uh, we're going to swing by Paisley Park first, and then I'll see you later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, anything else to say about this? We got the good Brad Walker. They was we did. Good. Yeah. Well, okie dokie. Let's talk about Justice League No Justice number four. The epic finale to No Justice. Uh, written by Scott Snyder, James Tanner IV, and Josh Williamson, illustrated by Francis Manipal. Um, so here we get, you know, the obviously the end of the big battle, which everybody was anticipating, is is you know it's good comic booking, whatever. But it's all the stuff after that that I found really interesting. The um, the Martian Manhunter Lex Luthor stuff I really liked. Um, the Outsiders team essentially being that fourth team that Snyder's been talking about, more or less confirmed. <laughs> Gesundheit. Thank you. Um, Once a show, I do that. Yeah. And uh, and then the Green Arrow stuff is going to bleed into the Green Arrow annual, so we'll hold off on that for right now. But overall, what do you guys think about how this set up the status quo going forward? Mm, DC three nip. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, did you agree? Yeah, I like this issue. 
I think so. I realized when reading this issue today, like I really did like this series. I think a lot of the weirdness I had is just how the proximity of it to metal um, and just how big metal felt. And this feels big too, but it's happening so quickly and metal took so long. That's interesting. You're not wrong. I keep thinking this is uh, just like streamlined metal, you know. As good as yeah. as good as metal was, I I want Snyder to push his event writing in this direction more and more. Yes, I don't. That's care. a really good point. Yeah, I I don't. I I would much rather this sort of stuff than all of like the new mythology of the dark multiverse and the forger of worlds and all that like that stuff is fun but ultimately i want more of of this stuff where it's not i feel like sometimes snyder and scott we know you know that we love you i i feel like a big part of snyder's writing is not just telling a cool story but going back to the beginning of creation and plotting out how that cool story has has happened, whereas this is just a cool story. Yeah, yeah. Is that a thousand years of preamble? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is how I want all event comics to feel, you know. Yeah. And we'll talk we'll talk about it a little later, but there's a tie-in that is basically wholly inessential <laughs> to it. Yes. And. And that's also how they should feel. <laughs> um, but let's let, let's let's talk about some of the things I mentioned before. First of all, what do you think Brainiac 2's role is going to be going forward? Well, he he he's here. Tell he's going to play a role in Justice League Odyssey somehow, right? Because the L dot E dot Legion is coming back. It sounds like. Um, I love the way he's written here too. By the way, I think I think I think they're setting him up to be a great villain. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess I guess those are my thoughts on where he's going. It seems like, you know, so I had talked last or one of the weeks about just all the cosmic stuff. It seems like that's going to be a really big thing with all of these um, released Brainiac worlds and all and all of the that that seems like it's it could be its own big corner of the DCU and it seems I mean he'll be really central to that I think yeah. to me I think that's what Odyssey's going to be pretty much just all about yeah you know is all these released worlds and how that impacts like the multiverse or whatever or just the universe I guess even. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's a super fun. Like, I wouldn't have thought of the L dot E Legion as being the first one we're going to see back, <laughs> but but I'm I'm kind of glad that it is because it's, it's something different and unexpected. Um, what do you guys think of the Martian Manhunter Lex Luthor stuff? Oh, I love it! I love that pairing. Yeah, that was that was really good. I love like the sort of mutual respect that's there. The the reveal that of course Lex Luthor really is a villain <laughs> on the inside. Um and I love how he's like 
I'm going to go get my team ready. You should probably get yours ready. Yeah. And instantly, uh, John Jones now feels like the de facto leader of the Justice League. Yes. And, like, there's no no question about it. Yeah, I mean, he's elected chairman. Well, he is, yeah. But I mean, even before that, like the way the way he took hold of everything here. Yes. Um, Do you guys feel it's a little regressive with Luther, or a little fast to be this regressive with Luther, or do you feel like it's been time? I mean, it's like for me, it's like when um, Dick Grayson stopping batman or or when bruce came but you know it is regressive it's it's like a status quo that i really like that i wish could go on forever but obviously can't um yeah i don't know See, yeah what's interesting i'm sorry vince go ahead i was just gonna say i think it, I, it is regressive for the reasons zach just said but also you know i've been wanting a the legion of um super villains or the legion of doom back in some form or fashion, I don't think you can have that without Lex. Like, right. yeah. without Lex, it's just not, not the right thing. So, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I, I could see. Well, I'm going to save that for a second. But what I was going to say is, I feel like one of the difficulties here is that I don't think that this Lex is all that different than the Lex we've been reading the last year or two. It's just that sort of his focus has changed, right? Um, but surrounding himself with the freaking Joker and Sinestro and, you know, Cheetah and that, that, that is a different character than the character we've seen. There's a way to do Lex as a villain that isn't Legion of Doom Lex, but I'm with you. I want Legion of Doom Lex. Mm -hmm. I I did have an interesting thought though, and I don't, I hope it's not the way it's going to go, but could this be that Lex is a plant from Superman Well, that's that's interesting. What, why do you, what makes you say that? Just because I feel like there's been this real push for Lex as a redeemed character, and he doesn't really do anything here to to unredeem himself. You know, he doesn't really fuck up at all. He he kind of saves the day, and just has a difference of opinion here. But I wonder if 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 they don't want to get rid of the Lex as a hero thing so fast, if that couldn't be a way around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the way that Snyder's been teasing it, it's almost he doesn't necessarily see Lex as the villain of this story either, or the villain of Justice League, even though he is reforming the the Legion of Doom. Um, you know, he's he is trying to. Well, I guess this is. I mean, this is kind of like Lex Luthor in a nutshell. Anyway, he's trying to save the world his way. Base, you know. Yeah. So I guess that is kind of regressive now that I say it out loud. <laughs> Brian wants to do an Austin Powers in a nutshell joke so badly I can just feel it. Actually, I wasn't even thinking about that, but but that is uh-huh. that is a solid goof. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike Myers, for all you give in the world. <laughs> From the Love Guru to uh, to that new Gong Show. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Um, yep. So I'm I'm gonna to switch us over to the Green Lan- Green Arrow Annual, but we're gonna talk about the events of this book in a second. Uh, but the annual is written by the Bensons, illustrated by Carmen Carnero, and uh, in in the in the annual, 
it sort of tells the story of what happens at the end of No Justice, which is Green Arrow is given essentially a tool that they say can take down the Justice League if need be. Now, this is obviously a classic Justice League trope, you know, um, Tower of Babel, etc. But I think it's a really interesting decision to have somebody outside the Justice League to be the one to have this tool as opposed to Batman having it, which is always sort of the way it's been in the past. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think of Green Arrow as being this character? I think it's... You know, they've, they've, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but they've been seeming to want to keep Ollie as an outsider of the Justice League, you know? He's always kind of alongside them, but they never really make him uh, an official member for whatever reason. And the one time they offered it to him, he, like, turned it down or something like that. Um, so I think if you're going to keep doing that, I think this is a pretty good way to go. I think it's a way to keep him close, but... Maybe not make him an actual member, and yeah, I like it. Zach, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's good, and I mean, I, I think it's going to play out in a really interesting way eventually. You know, there Snyder's definitely setting up some kind of big story eventually. So yeah, Green Arrow is cool. He's kind of been sidelined for a really long time now, so. I'm for it. I find it interesting that he was one of the like three or four most important characters in No Justice, and yet he wasn't on any of the teams. He was more or less by himself. You know, it was uh, it was an interesting use of the character. Um, I did also when I was thinking about this issue today, I was thinking about sort of some of the recent Green Arrow Justice League moments and there's a lot of bad ones like cry for justice was a uh, a very green arrow centric uh justice league story um but one of my favorite justice league moments that actually happens in uh green lantern rebirth like so many things in my life uh comes back to green lantern rebirth where he has to wear hal's ring do you guys remember the scene yeah and, oh yeah and uh he uses it and he says does it hurt like that and hal says every time I love that. One, yep. of my, one of my favorite Green Arrow, Green Lantern moments. And but I was thinking about it. That was that was one of the last times that he felt like an equal regular member of the Justice League. And that was a long time ago. Yeah, good pull. Yeah. That that was a great moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, you'd never forget um Cry for Justice. Well, I said a good moment. <laughs> Your boy. Uh, yeah, that's right. I know. I there's actually <laughs> there's actually a part of me that wants to defend that that uh, book. That the worst stuff happened in the fallout from that versus in the book itself. But sure. I won't do that. Not today. One day though. Well, there's plenty of time for that. Don't worry. Don't you worry, my friend. Um. So what do you guys think of this annual as a whole? Completely superfluous, but fine. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. You know, as a as a tease into what the Bensons, what it seems like the Bensons are going to be doing, 
I don't think it's going to feel a whole lot different than Birds of Prey. I think this was, I think this was a little better than your average issue of their Birds of Prey run. And I think if it hits this level the whole time, I think it's going to be fine. You know, hopefully their um, their run will have uh, less Amanda Waller than this, though. Well. <laughs> That's true of every uh, yes. DC comic right now, including Suicide Squad. Yes. So um, um, I was on uh, the internet earlier today, as as I tend to do. You're and on it right now. I'm on it right now. And CBR, I believe it was CBR, had the article that said, Green Arrow Annual Number 2 introduces Redacted back to the DC Universe. And I was like, did I miss something in this issue? I clicked on the link. The Redacted was the arrow plane. <laughs> they beat us for an Eisner, guys. They beat us for an Eisner. Uh, well, we clearly need to do more of that stuff. If you have to redact the arrow plane, what the fuck? We we need to just we need to start doing a separate column for every one of Ryan Reynolds' tweets. <laughs> from now on. That's the only way we're going to get back in that ceremony. Uh, uh, Walter and I have discussed trying to do, like, uh, to be the outhousers, but funny. But, like, you know, <laughs> like, like, the, like the comics version of The Onion. But we yeah. realized that CBR and Newsarama's headlines are so dumb, people wouldn't know you were joking. <laughs> I'm just throwing shade on the entire comics internet tonight, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, back to this shitty annual. No, it's fine. It's, um, I, I did like sort of seeing Ollie in more, um, like, I, I liked seeing him paired up with, with Babs. I thought that was kind of fun. And I like seeing Ollie when he's not just, as much as I love Team Arrow, it's nice to see him doing something a little bit different. This felt like a, a real opportunity to bring him back into sort of the mainstream DCU. In addition to that part we talked about before with the, um, with that box, you know, uh, featuring whatever can take down the justice league. This all feels like steps to bring him back on the inside. You know, Vince, you said before that they seem pretty, pretty clear on wanting him to be an outsider. I think this is a pretty good way to start to bring him back to the inside, to have him, work with other heroes, to have him interact with the Justice League, to have him not be a wanted criminal, but to just be Green Arrow for a while. Yeah. And Carmen Carnero is doing good stuff. Yeah, getting better all the time, I think. I feel like every every time I see Carnero... God damn it. <laughs> you can't get mad at me ever since the Beatles. That's that's our thing. Man. No, I'm not. I'm not mad at you. Okay, I've never been mad at you. Oh, please. <laughs> Again, I have hundreds of hours of audio to prove otherwise. <laughs> Except for that one time, I'm not even going to say it. But we know, we know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't. know. What are, you, what are you? What are you talking about? I just made this joke before we started recording. You want me to make it again? Yeah, uh, I don't remember it. I, the, the time that Vince shined a black light on your keyboard. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then I looked at the camera and I said, that's one dirty computer. 
as much as Vince hates it that I talk about his love of the alphabet, Zach loves that Dota computer joke. Those are the two poles of the DC3 cast. Everything falls somewhere in that spectrum of Zach's joy and Vince's hate. Everything just kind of falls in the middle there. It's going to tear us apart someday. No, it's the balance that keeps us going. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Comics were interesting this week. They were. They this was were. a fun show, you guys. It was a fun show. We should have eventful comics come out more often. <laughs> uh, and we should com- completely ignore the ones we didn't read more often. Yep. It's so, true, we should. Sorry, you know, Game next Conquest. week has some, some pretty big events. Well, let's talk about that. Um, as we should also say, I said, sorry, Bane Conquest. Sorry, Raven <laughs> Daughter of Darkness. There you go. We're never talking about you again. So, being conquest, just this, those two words put together make me chuckle. <laughs> All right, next week's next week's comics. Are we doing our favorite feature yeah. here? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um. So we get um. The next installment of the the Deathstroke versus Batman. Mm-hmm. We get the finale of Exit Stage Left: The Snagglepuss Chronicles. Even. Uh, Justice League. Number one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else is going on here. The Unexpected. Oh, yeah! Uh, second issue of Man of Steel. Um, anything else, Zach, you wanted to highlight? No, that's pretty much... That's, uh, DC Nation number one. Is that real? I believe that's... Uh, isn't that their new, like... Uh, that's just the previews catalog yeah. now, isn't it? It is the previews. Okay, because I thought maybe they were trying to relaunch. What was that other thing that they that did uh, one issue of? Direct, Direct Currents. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, Zach, I was setting you up to talk about how excited you are for the Curse of Rimstone number three. Uh, uh, you know. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh. Uh, yeah. Did you mention the Nightwing versus Hush issue? I don't know. Oh no, that is that's the next uh, Batman wedding prelude. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically like this week all over again. Yeah, exactly. Plus, I think Hush, it's plus Batman I think 48. it's I think it's interesting that we're getting a book with Hush in it um, when Hush hasn't really been a thing. In he was in um, in he Rebirth. was in All Star Batman, right? Oh, was he? Oh man. I liked that book, but I've forgotten a lot about it. I think. I think it was in the in the Alfred arc. Yes, hmm. yes, he was. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, because wasn't it that they thought that Bruce was actually Hush? I, I think. Oh, so, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that was a that, yeah. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe now I can't remember if he was actually in it or not, or if it was just that, but he was at least referenced. Yeah. I think he was in it, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, like uh, like our friend and multiversity contributor Alexander Jones, who tweeted at us, that we were wrong, that Azrael actually got to one million issues and sent us the cover of Justice League, of uh, Azrael number one million. So, it's a solid goof. Thank you. Um, 
You can find us all on Twitter. I am at Brian. It's an app. I'm at LCD underscore lounge system. And I am now at Woker Fox. When did that happen? <laughs> you missed it today. I got rid. Of, I got tired of saying the numbers. I hated it. Did you really? It was the thing that I hated. Yeah. We. I mean, it's still the same account. I just changed my handle. I think we three should change one of our Twitter handles every, every month. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm never doing that so you guys will have fun with that so all right well i guess it's gonna be weirder if just two of us do it but fine yeah. um everybody go out and listen to nico case's new album with the worst album cover of all time yes, but, but i'm it's i'm really good yeah i'm sure the music is what great. are you gonna listen to first that or father john misty oh i've been listening to father john misty my friend didn't it just come out uh, it may have leaked a month ago okay oh did it okay i didn't uh, i don't keep up with him I uh wait, hang on. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh I'm behind your door. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Cave Carson again. No, it's not. It, it, cave, cave has been permanently dispatched to the multiverse. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, have fun on the brig, dude. Hope that piracy was worth it. Piracy is not a victimless crime. If you've been to the movies, no, you haven't because you fucking don't go. But they always have those uh, piracy is not a victimless crime ads before the movies now. I understand that, yes. So, okay. I did pre-order the LP as soon as it was available, so. Yeah. Man, I really hate that Nico cover. God, oh, it's, it's bad. The worst. It's... I really hoped it was just going to be, like, the single cover and that there would be a different cover for the album, but... <sighs> it's going to be even weirder when we see her live and she actually comes out on stage with a headband made of cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, so good week for comics, good week for music, good week for podcasts. Um, thanks for listening, and we will be back next week. Enjoy and uh, get ready for Cyborg number 23. Kanye Innocent. Call you Pee Wee. <laughs> <laughs>